You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. I'm Bob Cassidy. Glad to be here today. How many of you uh, think there's an emoji that's created for how Chiefs fans feel this morning? I just, just one. I mean, what do we expect anyway, right? But we are talking about, we are talking about uh, dead ends, and I think they may have created a special one for the topic today. And we could talk about dead ends in a lot of different ways this morning. We could talk about practical dead ends and vocational dead ends and emotional dead ends. And you could Google and get a lot, of, a lot better TED Talks on that topic than you could get from me anyway. So what we're really going to talk about today is the ultimate dead end, okay? And that's what uh, we'll be visiting about in just a moment. Before we do, I want to I share with you uh, an incident that happened to me last summer. I was privileged to perform uh, a wedding at some friends of friends, Chris and Jen's. We were down to Big Cedar. It was a beautiful June evening. It was uh, the picturesque little white chapel that they have down there. It's very simple and elegant. And after the ceremony, we went and dined up the hill, and we had great table conversation. We had delicacies to eat. We toasted the bride and groom. I was in a really good mood when I went to my car, thinking that I knew my way out of Big Cedar, and uh, it, it was dark, okay, and things looked different in the dark, and I was at a different location than I was where I came in, and so I couldn't find the location where I headed my way out, and so I started down this one road, and I hit a dead end, and I went down this other street, and was following signs, and even directions of getting out of the place only to hit another dead end, and I consulted Siri, who was of absolutely no help, no one can had confided in her that all the changes that were taking place. And so I just kept meandering my way around in the dark, and it's mighty dark down there with very little lighting, until finally I decided I'm just going to take my first way out of here. And so I did, meandering my way kind of south, leaving the place in a different direction than where I came in. And I never really believed in the reality of Ozark Mountains before until I went up one, and winding my way up and up and up and up and down and down and down and down and going to various crossroads and hitting, yes, you know, you guessed it, dead ends. And so there was actually some fireworks by this time that was going off about 10 o'clock at night, and there were fireworks going off inside of me, and I was very frustrated. What, what emoji is that? Frustration? Okay, there we go. And so I prayed, Lord, help. And I found that to be... A very, very good prayer. Nothing happened for a while. I envisioned myself winding up in some holler in Arkansas somewhere. And then I noticed to my left the moon was rising. I don't think I ever enjoyed a moonrise more in my life because I realized that the moon rises in the east, right? And so from that point on, I would just take whatever road headed toward the moon, knowing that eventually I would hit 65 highway and I'd find my way home. Dead ends. The ultimate dead end 
is a spiritual dead end. It's when you come to the end of yourself. It's when you run out of options. And no um, TED Talk or no technology or no source of wisdom in this world can ever really, really help you. And the Bible has a description of this type of a dead end. It's fairly repetitive in Scripture, particularly in the writings of the epistles of the, of the Apostle Paul, where he says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, what does that mean, to be dead in our trespasses and sin? There's a sense of, of a pattern. Uh, there's, there's a sense of something that's taken hold of us. There's a sense that we've run out of options, that we don't have the bandwidth. We don't have the ability to rise up and, and be any different. And the Apostle Paul explains this and unpacks this for us in the writings of Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at uh, his description of this reality of being dead, hitting the dead end spiritually. And so he's writing to Christians here. He's talking to people who found their way out of the dead end. But notice his description of what it's like. And you were made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Now, friends, that's not a, that's not a very good diagnosis. Um, that's not uh, something that we like to look at or think about or seeing ourselves. It reminds me, though, of my father 20 years ago when he was dying of leukemia. And the doctor walked into the room, and he had this forlorn look on his face. And I remember my dad, even though this was two decades ago, gathering himself up in his bed and looking at the doctor and saying, give it to me straight. Give it to me straight. And the Apostle Paul and Holy Scripture, when talking about the human condition, is giving it to us straight. We are made in the image of God. We are made with great potential and hope. We are crowned with glory and honor, Psalm 8 says. But we have depravity. We are seriously flawed. There are issues and there is stuff going on inside of us that just aren't right. And so in that scripture we, we just read, Paul is saying there's a murkiness in the air in which we breathe. There is a bio, diabolical forces. There is the prince of the air. There are demonic forces at work in this world. There is stuff that's happening all around us in the air we breathe. 
that's of the evil one. And it's real. And there is a dark cloud that can fill our mind and our heart and our spirit that clouds our thinking and moves us off course and keeps us from being centered in what's really important in life. By nature, we're the children with a spirit of defiance and disobedience. You know, this is a, a very graphic image, but as I was just living with that description that we're children of, of defiance and disobedience, what does that mean? I think you and I are living in a time and in a world that's given God the finger. God is calling us to live a certain kind of life, and by golly, we don't have to. We live the life we want to live. And there's the lust of the eyes, there's the lust of the flesh, and there's the pride of life. And that's reality. And that's sobering. And I personally find that a little bit scary. I'm reminded of the four-year-old boy at the preschool. It wasn't at our grow-to-know preschool because our kids would never act like this. But one of the four-year-old boys at this one particular preschool went up and clobbered one of his playmates. And the teacher saw it, and he called him aside. And she, he said, you know, don't, don't do that. We don't, we don't do that around here. You, you need to apologize to your friend. Okay. And the kid walked up, and he hit him again. The teacher looked at this. What's going on? And he said, well, I thought you were going to apologize to him. He said, yeah, I will eventually, but I just wanted to hit him again. <laughs> well, there's something about us, whether we're 3 or 30 or 60, that we just, well, you ever wonder why? You ever wonder why sometimes that... <laughs> You can be so nasty, or you can think such bad thoughts, or you can feel so suspicious of others, or why relationships have to be so hard. You, you ever wonder why there's a maliciousness or an undercutting? You ever wonder why? And so Scripture makes no apology to the diagnosis of the human condition. That is a spiritual reality. It is a spiritual dead end. And that is universal and true of everyone in this room and everyone in this world. We are helpless in ourselves to do anything about it. But the Scripture continues. I love this. But God, but God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. So even though we're giving God the finger, what's God's response to this? God is rich in mercy because of His great love, not because of what we do, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
What does it mean to be in the heavenly places? What's he talking about? He's talking about some kind of reality here, isn't he? And he's talking about something that you and I can experience together in this life, not just the next life, but there's a heavenly realm. You know, our our worship this morning and our words from our worship leader were right on, that there's a lot of different spiritual forces, but there is the mighty white horse that we're called to. And we can be raised up out of the murkiness of our mind and our thoughts where we are then placed in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, he might, he might just continue to do this. He's going to show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Friend, have you experienced personally the kindness of God? I mean when you were unkind. Have you experienced the kindness of God? When you were unloving, have you experienced the love of God? When you were unforgiving, did you know the forgiveness of God? Have you stepped into the riches of His grace? And the Scripture reminds us that this is not our doing. There's nothing in our power and our ability to save ourselves, to deliver us, to change us, to transform us. It is all by the grace of God. And so let's review the nature of God, that God is merciful and God is kind and God is loving. That this grace comes from God's power, God's strength, not from our abilities. And that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead raises us up together in these heavenly places. You know, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is not about what Jesus simply did for us on the cross and being raised from the dead, if that wasn't enough, good enough to save our souls. That's just half the, good, that's just half the gospel. No, the good news is that Christ begins to come alive in us and his forgiveness and his mercy where the old self is crucified and this deadness to sin goes away and we are raised in newness of life and this is something we can't do ourselves but we're fully reliant upon God to do it it reminds me of the line of the old Star Trek show beam me up Scotty that's the reality of what happens As Captain Kirk was reliant totally upon Scotty to do it. When we become reliant upon God to raise us up, it happens. Where there is no way, God finds a way. When we learn to come to the end of ourselves and our own options, and we place ourselves totally at the mercy of God. Dead ends can lead us to put our full trust in Christ Jesus. You know, it's true, isn't it, that it seems like it takes a a personal crisis or it takes a time in our life where we're at the end of ourselves to do it. And it was 
some years ago, in fact it was the years 2003 to 2005, where my life had hit the perfect storm. By that I mean that on every front there seems to be a, a wind that was coming at me, a force that was coming at me, that was doing me in. In our family life, and our home life, things were not good. Our marriage was not good. Our oldest son kept shooting himself in the foot. He kept doing things that were unbelievable. We, we didn't know what to do. And we were not doing Susan and I well together. And then in the church, we had hit a snag, and it seemed like anything I tried to do as a pastor in those years, <laughs> it just utterly failed. Every new initiative. And we had a significant number of young adults, very talented young adults at that time, just like we do now, that, that, that were leaving the staff. And I'd lost my joy in ministry. And then in my own personal inward life, the Bible had just become a textbook that I used to read to prepare sermons rather than the living document that it is that speaks to my soul. I was somewhere along the way undone doing God's work, and I just wanted to escape. I just wanted out. What does a 50-year-old pastor of a prominent church with a family financially dependent upon him do? Where do you go? That was my dilemma. But you don't have to be a pastor to hit a midlife crisis or even a dead end as a younger person. Many people fall into addictions. Some people have affairs. I did neither. I read some books, helped to a point. Went to a conference or two, helped to a point. Went to counseling with Susan, helped to a point. Reached out to a friend, lifelong friend, helped to a point. But only what I had to do, friends, I had to come to the end of myself. I had to face myself. I had to look at the vanity of my spirit. And I had to recognize that my life was full of pride. And I had to acknowledge before God that much of what I was about in life and ministry was not about God at all, but about myself. I'd come to the end of myself. So when you hit a dead end like that, you own your own stuff, and then you cry out to God. And it's not very manly, but I remember curling up in a fetal position in my bathroom and crying out to God, Lord, help Lord help. And what happened to me in that moment and in the moments that followed are indescribable and it's not that important how exactly I experienced God. But there was a power and there was a presence. The infusion of grace it came into me like I had never known it before. And from that time, 
there were changes. Healing happened in our marriage. I learned to forgive, and I learned to ask for forgiveness on a regular basis. I became a born-again dad. I took my kids to lunch one time, and I apologized to all of them about some of my conduct. And as a pastor, I made a big switch. Not that I always do this, but I learned something. (laughs) There's a big difference between doing things for God out of your own strength and your own agenda and your own energy and doing things from God, from God's strength, from God's power, and from God's purposes to His glory. There's a world of difference between those two things. I learned that when you come to a dead end, that can be a very good thing whether it's the very first time you've come to Christ or whether there's several different conversions you've got to make along the way in life. You learn a presence and a power and a grace and a strength you never knew before. Can you improve what Paul says to the Ephesians? For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And unlike our Western mindset, the you is not an individual here. The you is plural. Most of the times, you in the New Testament is plural, not individually. We sit together in the heavenly places, right? So you don't get saved on your own. You get saved with the help of a lot of other people. And you keep being saved. By grace, through relationships, through faith. And it's not not of yourself. It's a gift of God for all of us. Not of works. Lest anyone should boast. Elsewhere, Paul says, if you got to boast, brag about two things. Brag about the cross. And brag that God's grace is sufficient for you in your weakness. If you got to brag, brag about those two things. But then what happens to us is then that we are His workmanship. God wants to do new work in us. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is a good thing to come to the end of ourself. It is a good thing to run out of options. You know, it's not that I can't rely on some worldly wisdom. It's not that I don't listen to TED Talks. It's not that I don't follow technology. It's not that I don't learn from just good knowledge in this world. But I know that the fear of the Lord, the reverence, the awe, 
the relationship with the Lord is the only answer for the ultimate dead end in life. And that's the hope. And that's the confidence that we have because of grace.